Ladies and gentlemen, boys, girls, welcome to the SAP. It's your boy Dave Neal. How are you today? Everyone doing all right? Hey, what's up, Lydia, our new Patreon member? Thank you so much for joining the squad. We have a new Patreon member, everybody. You know, it got a little stagnant after the launch. We got all the hardcore supporters right at the launch, and now some people are trickling in. We really appreciate you, Lydia. Thank you so much for joining us. Boy, do we have a lot of content for you to catch up on. We've got, um, I don't know, 15 or 20 hours of past solo episodes, uh, group episodes, Weird AF News episodes where we read the news, um, mimosa stand-up shows. Oh my gosh, we just recorded this last episode, this latest episode, number 342. This episode you're about to listen to, we just recorded after the mimosa stand-up show. June 23rd, our June Mimosa show. And boy, we went through 11 liters of champagne today. You guys brought the fucking house down. What an audience. What a great show. Um, all the, the whole stand-up show will be available at our Patreon, patreon.com slash the sap. So you can listen to the pro audio quality of the show. Have a laugh on your way to work. It's an hour and a half long show. Some of my funniest comedian friends, everyone just hit it out of the park. I love when we can just have an awesome show top to bottom, every comic killed. We had a gay Korean guy, a beautiful black dude, a Mexican guy, three white dudes, um, a bisexual chick. Is she bisexual? It's just bisexual. And then we had a, 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 a female uh a dancer, a stripper, uh, who also does stand-up comedy. Uh, Dollar Bills, y'all. She killed it. Everyone had a great set. Um, Jess Mulder did a stand-up spot. Channing Apodaca hosted um, some other past guests. Uh, they all just knocked it out of the park. Anyway, I, I don't know what else to say other than if you want to listen to that stand-up show and hear about the uh, fun we're having, I think it was our fourth month in a row. We started in February, right? February, March, April, May, June. We started in March. Whatever. This was our fifth month in a row doing this stand-up show. It gets better every month. We're running out of chairs. It's completely sold out. The audience was fantastic. Kyle, Vic, other podcast listeners that can make it showed up. Again, you guys got to come. You got to be there. This is this is the new wave. We're going to make it uh, big, Tasha, with this stand-up show. We're taking it right to Comedy Central. 11.30 in the morning? 11 liters of champagne? You guys are fucking savages. Oh, did you guys get drunk? I mean... Boy, anyway, so this whole episode, I'm just hung over from that <laughs> three hours later. But you're going to love our chat. We ch- we talked with Jay Light. He's um he's a real nice, uh, hilarious stand-up comedian that I've known of. And we've been friends for a long time. But you know how it is. You know, you, you see someone kind of on the surface level after a show, before a show, in the green room real quick. It was really nice to get down for an hour and have a conversation with Jay. We found out Jay and Tasha have a lot in common. Oldest siblings. You know what I mean? Just trying to get that love and acceptance from their parents. We break it all down, folks. It was a good one. You're going to enjoy. So without further ado, um, here's our chat with Jay Light. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the SAP. Your host, Dave Neal, with Tasha Courtney, and Jay Light is joining us. Hey, hey, welcome. we, we dove right in. <laughs> you snapped right into radio voice. I like it. <laughs> Very good. That's all it is today. Uh, by the way, and uh, Jay, your shirt's Jason, but you're Jay. This is nice here. Is Jason the, the full name? Is it Jason Light? No, my full name is Jerry Thomas Light the Third. 
Wow. Wow, it's fancy. It's an intense name. It's hardcore. You've got such, and I know you know this, but you've got such like a, that Maytag young, like <laughs> serve me a soda pop at the diner vibe. Oh, shucks. <laughs> you want an egg cream? It's very, yeah, I can I can pull that off. And I feel so old because I've met you so long ago and you were so young and new to LA and you just seemed so hopeful. Are you keeping up with that energy, that yeah, happiness? I'd say so. I, st- I still have a fair amount like of hope. like you were convincing yourself there for a second. Well, I I mean, I like where I'm at career-wise, but I also feel like my time in L.A. is going to be up in a couple of years. I, Why do you think that? I've always wanted to move to New York. I like New York a lot, and I think New York has... Not, not to say L.A. doesn't have a good comedy scene, but I like the way people approach stand-up in New York a little bit better. Yeah, it's... It's different. It's interesting. It's sort of it, um, the same as like social life, New York versus LA. New York things just run a lot easier. It seems like everything's easier because you just like bounce from spot to spot and you run into people that you know. And it's yeah. just kind of like, I don't know, it's a very social place mm-hmm. where people are out and about. And here it's like you get in your car, you go to the place, you find a parking. It's like, it's a lot more work just to do the normal things and fun things. Yeah, it's you know it's funny. I was literally last night having uh, I had a sort of a breakdown and talked to my girlfriend about how I'd been feeling like I'm not as connected to the stand up scene as I was when I was still working at the comedy store because I haven't worked there. As You're not a door there guy. anymore. No, I'm not a door no, guy there so, anymore. I'm so not in the scene that I didn't know that. At yeah. All. Oh, cool. I have been for the past since february i've been working as a tv writer wow cool. it's been good and it's been really fun and thank you but when i quit i did so thinking i'm gonna throw myself more into stand-up at night and to some degree i have i've been able to do a lot more shows and be out at night and doing different things than just being at the comedy store every night but now i'm starting to get to this place where i feel disconnected from stand-up and so I have to really double down. And I was talking to her about it. And I was like, I feel like I got to throw myself back into things. Like I'm not hanging out at the store as much as I should. And I'm not going to see other people's shows. And I'm not doing the work that I s- promised myself that I was going to so, do. Yeah, so, but it's hard when you already have a nine to five. That's exactly. like a mentally and emotionally draining. Like right. all you want to do is come home and decompress. But like you still have work to do. You have your nighttime job to do. Like mm-hmm. Now before we tough. go get ahead of this. Because uh, we have a lot of listeners who who don't know the stand up world out here are you know Beth and Latvia and all these other random places. So explain real quickly the the door guy what like that what that is. Okay, so being a door guy at the comedy store basically means that you are, as far as the actual job itself, you're seating people in the room and you're sort of acting as like a pseudo bouncer and checking IDs and making sure that people aren't heckling or videotaping and, and you help kick people out if they need to, if you need to do any of that, they only hire comedians to work the door at the comedy store. And you kind of have to like audition for that. You absolutely have to audition for that because there's a long list of comics who want to get in to work at the comedy store. So you go and you audition, and the booker is the person who does... He basically makes the first list of whoever they are interested in hiring, and then from there you actually interview with the managers. But yeah, you have to audition, and they only hire comedians because they only... And they only hire comedians who they want to develop. So they only hire comics who fit the the ethos of the store to work the door at the comedy store. And so being a comic 
working there as a door guy, you get not only you get stage time out of it because you get to go up on potluck every week and, and do the employee spots and you get development spots because you get put into the development system after you've gone through your probationary period. So you can go up multiple times a week. And all the people who are booking the outside shows will put you on spots, which is really great. So you get a lot of stage time. But you also get access because all these comics who work the club regularly as paid regulars know that they only hire comedians to work the door. Some of the greatest comics in the world. Exactly. You know, a long, illustrious history of comics like Jay Leno, David Letterman, Sam Kinison, uh, Bill Hicks worked the door there for a little Ari bit. Ari Shafir, right? Ari Shafir worked the door there. Bobby Lee worked the door there. And it's since the beginning of the club's history, they've only hired comics to work the door. And a lot of those comics have gone on to be working professionals and some to big time fame and fortune. Yeah, I like, like I've seen you, I've seen you, I think in the belly room where like one second you've got the walkie talkie and the comedy store t-shirt on and then he's walking on stage, does a set and then goes back to work. Yeah. I think that's the coolest thing in the world. It's, you know, what's crazy is that's, it's that's just the part of life you just got you accept that and you get used to that and you're like all right i'm going on and you go do your spot and then you come off i got my first tv writing job off of that off of doing a spot while i was on the clock that's amazing and i had my comedy store shirt on and then the guy who hired me he came up to me afterwards and he was like i can't believe that they that you work here <laughs> you you're so funny here's my card email me i've got a pilot that i'm working on that i'd love to have you in the writer's room for if you're interested and i was like of amazing course, please now you're going back to cleaning up puke in the bathroom i, I did like, <laughs> i had i and i think i did have to clean up puke that night i've had to clean up a lot of puke the Ew. first the first time i was ever on tv i had to clean up puke the same night my episode aired it was from Jeez. uh from roast battle it doesn't wow. go. And you know what? It's Never just ends. how how ironic. You know, I in a, like today we we do the, our mimosa stand up show. Which now that you've done the podcast officially, you have to come do the show. Yes, uh, the show we do it uh, one Sunday a month, and that's uh, that's where we're already hung over from noon just a drink. We <laughs> went, you guys do a daytime show. We went show? to eleven yeah. liters of champagne today. Eleven liters. Liters. We started with nine, and then I had to go to Seven Eleven next door and buy more because we ran out. But it's a great <laughs> it's a it's a great show. But I'm I'm there making you know you know pouring it making all this like fucking like tore the skin off my finger trying to pop these things that were on real tight and then i'm pouring mimosas as they're about to call my name to go on stage and of course it's 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 not as cool as your story we're like meeting like business and tv writers <laughs> performing whatever but it's like that's so funny how like stand-ups it's it's this it's so much more than just being on stage it's the business side of everything and right. who you know and like what's cool with the comedy store like if anyone's ever pursuing any passion it's like take the mold of the comedy store where you just dive in like all like you're it all has in. like a come up sort of thing like right. you you have to do all the bits and pieces before you get to the top and it's the only thing stand-up's the only division of entertainment that's really built on this meritocracy of like put in your time keep building and you will get your success more so than acting, I mean, writing. There are people that sit, that have dozens of scripts that have never seen the light of day. And you know what I mean? But stand-up, they get to see you out there. And mm -hmm. then you come to the table with all the other skills of entertainment. But see, to tie back to why I like New York's approach to stand-up better than LA's approach to stand-up is I do feel like New York is the stand-up scene out there. You can get into stand-up and it's purely for its own sake as its own art form. And you can go and you can perform. There's tons of clubs in the city. There's tons of random bar shows and other spots you can get up at in the city. And it's comics who are working and trying out. And, and there really is that sort of sense of you're leveling up. You're working your way through the clubs. You're getting passed at places. You're starting to earn money to perform. L.A., there's a little bit of that. 
But and there's like no money. There's no money, and there's also a ton of people who are already super famous because this is the, the entertainment town. So there's already people who are way bigger stars than you who are going to be doing those spots. So you have a much harder time breaking in. Not only that, you also have at the lower level a lot of people who are actors or writers who want to get into doing those things and someone tells them stand up stand up's the way. the way to get in <laughs> so you do that and then all of a sudden you're competing against all these other people and that's the thing it's like it's not really a competition but, but there, there are, some there level kind of is there are a finite number of spots so yes. there is that and it's crowded it's crowded yeah. when you have someone who's like an actor slash writer slash stand up Right, dipping their toes. Tasha's in. gonna get into stand-up Fuck comedy. No. <laughs> so they say no, like, yeah, okay. New York. You go to you go to New York to get good. You go to LA to get famous. That's kind of the old thing. I fucked that one up. I, I started in New York and then came out here way too uh, way early in my career. And that's where we met. As soon as I moved to LA, I feel like we kind of met over there at Flappers. Yep. But so it was LA, the first city you moved to, and and also where are you from? Where did you move from? So I am. A, I'm. A, I grew up outside of Dallas, Texas. I grew up in the suburbs. It's a little suburb called Colleyville close to DFW Airport, close to Six Flags Over Texas and former Texas Stadium, RIP. Yeah, very nice. Uh, And then I went to college in North Carolina, which is where I started doing comedy. So my first time ever on stage, I was 18. I did an open mic at a bar that no longer exists at my college's campus. And those first two years, I didn't really do a whole lot of stand-up. I was very afraid, but I really I caught the bug the first time I got on How stage. How did it go? It was good. Like, it wasn't terrible. I definitely bombed a lot worse than I did that first time. The first time was decent. And I did... I had been writing jokes for, like, six months because a buddy of mine had got the Comedy Bible by Judy Carter. Shout out, Judy. Of course, Judy. yes. And it said you should get a comedy buddy, and I volunteered. And I was like, sure, why not? And I was writing jokes with him, and then all of a sudden, this open mic came up, and I was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna try out some stand up. I'm gonna try out some jokes." And then after that, it was like a two year sort of, you know, I was doing it. I did it maybe ten times those first two years, and then after that, once I had, I, I turned twenty, I got a car on campus. I had, uh, I had more access to drive around the state a little bit because North Carolina has a scene; it's just very spread out. So once I had access to being able to do the spread out portion, then I was like, all right, well, I'm going to give this a real shot. So I started going up more often. I moved to L.A. directly after I graduated college. Cause Cause that's, I, pretty, that's pretty young in your career to come to L.A. Yeah, well, I figured that I am – I was a film student, and so I figured the best place to work in film and have that job security and then be able to still do stand-up at night is – come to LA. I didn't really think about New York being an entertainment city, having like a film or TV production scene to it. But I had been to LA and seen that side of it firsthand. So I was like, this is going to be, this is the place to do it. So tell us how supportive were your parents about doing, you know, the creative side of the world? Not coming from Texas. (laughs) Is there a sort of a limitation set or expectations? (laughs) You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Well, (laughs) I think my my parents probably would have been able to support me doing some other creative outlets. They, I was a theater kid in high school, and they seemed, they, they seemed to have no problem with that. But the problem with me doing stand-up is that my stand-up has always sort of been a directly adverse reaction to 
all of this, all of these things that I had basically pent up inside of being like sheltered and not being able to feel like I was expressing myself. And it's a reaction to that. So it's me, especially when you first start out, before you really know how to write a good joke and you're just writing stuff that gets a reaction. That's a lot of the stuff that I was doing where it's like attacking my family, attacking religion, attacking all the stuff that I'd been raised on. So my family was really not supportive of it. <laughs> um, I got into a fair amount of fights with my folks, uh, my mom in particular. Uh, I've had several conversations with her that were not that were not great about me <laughs> doing stand-up. But now they seem to have come around to the idea of me doing this as a career because at least now I'm I have stuff to show for it and it's not just all in the ether it's not just a it's not just ideas and what ifs it's oh i have a concrete clip of me with a comedy central logo yeah on the screen that is because they it's cuz i got booked on that it's it's almost it's almost a good thing for parents to be so not not necessarily abrasive but it's like they they i think most parents don't care about what you do to make your money they just they're just nervous for you right yeah they want the what's best they want you to be successful they want you to always have enough money they want you to have an easy life they don't want you to struggle and so my my parents were the same Tasha way bounced on oh, college yeah? i bounced on college what? and so i was in new york for basically an internship i had a job there and um I, w- it was like the end of the semester and I was like, I'm not coming back. I had been modeling in New York okay. and like I had been already like really um, unhappy in school. Like you it just make, wasn't You started making out. money. You started. I mean, yeah. And I was like killing, like I went to an open, one open call in New York and booked it. Like, it, you know, it was like, it's sort of like when you go on stage for the first time and it goes surprisingly well, like there's no yep. reason it should go well. It's your very first time, but it did. And I always feel like that's sort of like the universe, like leaving out breadcrumbs for you. Right. Like, oh, I, I went to this open call. I booked it for the next two weeks solid when I was supposed to be like my interim in between um, semesters, like moving time and all right. that. Um, I was booked nonstop on modeling jobs in New York. And I was like. This is obviously a sign. I've been miserable in school. I hate this. I don't like this career path that I'm on. I'm stuck in this like super focused um, major. And I was like, this this is stupid. I'm not going to waste my time. And but no, my parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the mm, mid- Midwestern no, Kentucky. No, no, no. They, they pretty, I mean, it was probably the harshest conversation we ever had. But they were basically like, we're cutting you off. Don't ever ask us for anything. You're ruining your life. Like that's that right. sort of deal. But I mean, we just had this conversation in, when. In, high, in hindsight, is that, did that help you like knowing that you had to prove yourself i know it's, i know it's it, not well, good like mentally but. here's i've always been a very independent person and i wasn't like asking my parents for help anyway you know what i mean so i i already was aware what i was up against but it did like i mean there were plenty of months where i was like i cannot afford a subway five dollar foot long right <laughs> i that's, you know that's out of my budget because I, I have to pay rent it's fourteen hundred dollars and i have 1350 and i'm waiting on a check yep. you know it's like it, you know there were times that i cut it very close but my mom recently were you around for this i can't even remember when this conversation happened but very recently my mom had a, you know she had a conversation maybe we were on the phone but she just kind of was like i'm really proud of you like you we did not think you could do it and you went out there and you proved us all wrong and you did it and you're not only like hustling but like (laughs) thriving you know made it in new york made it in la making money living my life and it made me feel really good to like get that validation from my parents 
years later. Versus yep. like, Jay, we, we have friends and you can't blame them. You can't blame them when they have a parent that's going to put them in a $2,500 a month apartment. You know, you can't oh, blame yeah. Must you be can't, nice. But we have those friends right. and we go, fuck, man. How how are you? Like, like again, in stand-up, you don't have to be homeless living out of your car to feel that, that um, sort of like angst to like succeed but like you know it when you you know like you need to hustle because it's competitive and i don't know by having that sort of like thing chasing you right behind you and like your parents that know you know knowing you better start making either some money doing side gigs or or show that you're you know writing on a show or or just killing it on stage right because that's a currency killing it on stage you might not have money in the bank account but if you're showing that you're fucking crushing it then they're okay. He's, he's then they have yeah. you know you've got something. That was the thing. Is like I knew when I when I graduated college, I got a, a a chunk of money as a graduation present, and basically was told this is this is it. <laughs> so don't expect anything. And I was like, cool, perfect. I'm gonna I, I will work with this. And I have been spending for the first I've been out in LA almost seven years for the first probably three years I I blew through that money very quick over the course of a lot of a lot of alcohol and drug use and uh, <laughs> and I came close to 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 I, I was on the brink a few times but I knew that the thing keeping me going, not just the love of the actual craft, but knowing that I did not want to go to turn tail and go back to Texas. Isn't I didn't want to do that. That yeah. fear, yeah. that failure, that knowing you're going to be going to the gas station in your hometown and someone's going to, hey, what are you doing back? Well, you know, I'm just trying to blah, 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 get my things. And it's just, yeah, this, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's interesting because it's not like an ego thing. It's just that's what's got, you know, walk the walk. You said you're going to go do it. Now do it. And it doesn't, there, there's no like set definition of what it is you're doing. You're just surviving. Right. And that's enough. I mean, I think for me, it absolutely was an ego thing. And I was like, <laughs> fuck you, mom and dad. I'm, I don't need, I don't need to come back. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to move closer to home just because it'll be cheaper and I can still do comedy there. No, I got to do this. I got to do this thing here. And then... I, you know, eventually now I can sustain myself doing that, which is very nice. And I was so surprised when you, when I first, uh, you know, when you first said you were sober that I didn't know you were partying too much. Uh, well, nobody did. That was a thing. <laughs> I had really done a good job of keeping that hidden, but the cracks were starting to show. And they, that was when I was like, all right, I got to stop this before it gets worse. Which is better for me in the long run because, come to find out, as soon as after I got sober, I found out there's a lot of addiction and alcoholism that runs my family, and I don't want to tempt fate by knowing, hey, I could have continued to drink and gone further down and broken through more bottoms and made myself feel more and more uncomfortable and, and embarrassed about myself and my behavior, but I don't have to do that. I can do I can bow out early and know... Hey, this is what lies on the other side. I don't need to. I don't need to keep participating in that to to get to that point. Did you have a moment that was? Oh like, yeah. That was like, oh shit, this is. This is far. it. Yeah. Remember, this is it moment. <laughs> I had a few. It was kind of a summer. Of, it was like a summer where I felt like I was on a bender the entire summer, and there was like I came. I was. I blacked out a lot when I was drinking, and I blacked out more and more and more and. Like, I would black out and do stuff and then be told about it and stop being funny and started being like, I remember one time I was in New I was in New York and I was there for a wedding 
and I came out of a blackout sprinting around somewhere downtown, like the financial district. And it was like four in the morning. I had no idea where I was. And I was br- I came out of blackout at a full sprint. <laughs> and oh I my was God. Like, this is we- what happened? What a fun place to find out you're doing cardio. Right. <laughs> I was like, I guess I'm trying to get, yeah, I'm trying to exercise all this booze off that I've been drinking. That's like know. a quiet part of town nighttime, right? Was it like desolate down there? It seemed desolate, but I was, I was drunk out of my mind so everything seemed scary yeah and i remember but that's the thing i was clearly the like the more scary person i remember i went down to a subway at that point because i was like well i'm not going to be able to catch a cab i don't have the money for that and i didn't have a metro card or if i did i wouldn't have had money to put on the metro card either and i went down to the subway and i just kept yelling at people to come let me in through the through emergency the emergency exit and eventually somebody did and i was like thank you and they were just like they're so scared and i was like cool this is great and that's that, how soft New York has got that you're the scary person. Right. Oh, <laughs> Who knew? Guy in khakis is intimidating. <laughs> and yeah. And then like I was at a wedding and the wedding was embarrassing. And I was like fighting with my ex who had she was also at the wedding while we were broken up. And this is in New Orleans. So it was very easy to get drunk in New Orleans. And I remember after the wedding and the reception, I was totally coherent not sober in the by any means i don't know how i was awake and not blacked out but then after the wedding and the reception i went out again and i blacked out and i kept having these flashes where i'd come back in and i would be conscious and aware for a, a little while and then i'd go back out again and everything and it was just like a flip book and different stuff was happening so like there was a point where i was up and awake and and like yelling at my ex in the street in new orleans like having a fight and somebody coming over this woman was like you don't you talk to her like that and I was like use that and then i black out again and then who knows how long it happens and then i come back and we're like making out on a couch in a in a hotel in a lobby of a hotel and then i black out again and then who knows and then all bets are off and i'm just like well this not doesn't feel good and i remember waking up the next morning going down to like the family breakfast this is a family wedding and people being like well what happened to you last night and i was just like oh no oh you guys can't talk to you guys about what happened last night i was very i was very embarrassed and at that point i was still like maybe i should cool it a little bit maybe i should cool it and then i didn't and then the last time i ever got drunk was i was at work and i was it was labor day of 2015 i was supposed to work and I, that morning, was like, I'm not going to drink today. I know I'm going to go to a Labor Day barbecue. I'm not going to drink because I have work tonight. And I started drinking, like, the minute I got to the barbecue. And I had a bunch. I had probably, like, seven or eight beers. And then I went to work. And I had a drink. And then I clocked in. And then I had another drink. And then I started feeling sick. And then I clocked out and got somebody to cover my shift. And then I did my spot in the original room. And then I had another drink. And then I went home. And there was a tall boy of PBR that I pulled out of the fridge and I popped the top to drink that. And then that was the moment. That was the shot in my head that I was like, oh, you shouldn't drink that. And then I didn't. And then I called a friend of mine to come pick me up and drive around and talk for a while. And that was when I decided I needed to quit drinking. 
Good for you, man. Wow. Yeah. Good for you to, I mean, And geez. so four years now. You're coming up on four years? Yeah, it'll be four years in September, September, September 10th. Congratulations. Thank you. We Thank still you. want to have you on the mimosa show. Even though, you know. I'll do it. Somebody is all, somebody else drink my mimosas. We, oh, we've uh, had plenty. I, I drink the LaCroix, too. I don't drink either. Um, is it hard to be out in the environment where you're at bar doing bar shows and people are spilling drinks on you? I mean, it's like you really are like surrounded by alcohol in this industry. Is it tough? No. Though this is where I'm at now is I remember when I first quit, I was fine being out and around it, but only for a little while. I was like, all right, I'm going to be out. I'll be here for like if it wasn't at work because at work, you you don't really have a choice at a comedy club. You're like around it. You know, you're going to be around it. But if it was out like at a social event, like a birthday party or something in that realm, I'm like, I'm going to stay here for an hour. And then I'm out because that was around the time when I would start feeling uncomfortable and being like, yeah, I don't want to be around these fucking people anymore. And now it's like four, almost four years in and it ties into the socializing thing of me feeling like I'm not connected. I went out to a party this weekend that was with some, some comedy folks. And I remember feeling uncomfortable and then being like, I should leave. And then I Irish goodbye. And I remember driving home and I was like, that didn't feel like the right move. Like maybe I should have just stayed there even though it was uncomfortable. Is it like then, a social anxiety thing? Like is there an aspect yeah, of that to it? That's what I think it really was. And I think there's a lot, you know, because a lot of the reason that I drank over the course of like figuring it out and doing doing like the, the mental labor to figure out why, a lot of it did come down to me feeling anxious and like being in a new place or meeting new yes. people and you wanting to fit in and everyone else is drinking. And so it's like right. kind of the expected thing to do. So now I'm like, okay, well I still feel those things, but I didn't, I didn't really think about it for a while. So now I have to go through and fight that discomfort because I know that me not fighting it is not going to do me any favors either. Cause I would rather be around the people and hang out it's not like I feel like I'm going to miss anything if I leave. It's the fact that I'm like, what is it that keeps me from wanting to stay? And it's the anxiety. And that's the thing that makes me be like, this is something that needs to be addressed now. So it's, you know, being sober has made my life different. It's certainly, and now I'm like, it didn't make it easier necessarily because now I just have to figure out different ways to address. Are you, have you things. found ways to address like the social anxiety aspect of it? Not yet. This yeah. is all brand. I mean, this is like, you're, you're catching me four days after I've sort of come to this realization of like, and what a good time. Oh man. Yeah. I got to figure it's, it out. Look, I mean, we don't, none of us have our shit together. Tasha will probably be the first one to say that like. I mean, anxiety is probably your biggest. Yeah. Anxiety has become like a big thing for me in the past few years. And it never was like part of me. But actually, that's not true. I would say that I was raised in a household that had social anxiety. My dad is not very like he's a quiet guy. So I think mm -hmm. I sort of got that from him. And then I've also had some social anxiety like before every year before the first day of school, the night before the first day of school, I would have a nervous breakdown. Uh, I would sob and cry just because like the but, stress but of going you do in, that. Now you take it out on people. me the morning. No, no, Jay, you're going to be in the center of this. <laughs> You'll take it out on me when like you're like got work the getting next ready morning. for you know, a, party you got a long day so you're like kind of yep no it's more, more of a work day like when you know you got a long day coming up no that's just it i'm annoyed i don't want to work anymore i'm <laughs> ready for retirement i'm ready for the life of luxury but um. it, but yeah if you could if you could like come up with a solution for like 
the different triggers well, to anxiety. Would be but huge. here's sort of my like I've realized that my points are like once I get to the party, I'll be fine. I might not always be comfortable. I might not always like everybody that I meet or enjoy talking to everybody that I meet. But who says you have to? That, right. That's normal. Yeah. That's normal. I would say that it's a very small percentage of people that are just like super extroverted and love everybody. And I would argue that those people are also like a little bit delusional because they think that everybody's into them right. too. You know what I mean? They're oh, the kind 100%. of people that like float around the party and are loud and obnoxious and want to talk to everybody. Yeah, seriously. And, um, <laughs> but, but uh, most people are probably not that way. I would argue that it's a greater percentage of people that are maybe a little more introverted or a little more reserved or maybe like um, thinkers in the way that we're like, oh, I hope that someone didn't perceive what I said to be blah, blah, blah. You know, right. like we're a little more introspective. Well, part of anxiety is overthinking things. It's overthinking things that haven't happened yet. So you're like, oh, shit, tomorrow's going to be a tough day. Or things that did happen. But like either way, if you're at a party and you're like having a conversation that's going a little weird, like who cares? You're meeting a new person. Like, of course, it's going to be a little weird. You're like shaking out the dust and like seeing if we vibe or not. And if you don't, you move along and talk to the next person. Now, Jay. Oh, sorry. No, I'm done. Jay, when you. (laughs) Stomp all over me. I was trying to find the end of that. And I wonder where that anxiety comes from. Seeing on this these interruptions that are happening over here. That's the episode, everybody. <laughs> I, like to, I like to be a little bit of a jab in Tasha when I notice something. Because I got my own issues and we address them by all means. But like the anxiety is something new with Tasha. And it could, and it could be, be because of Lyme disease. You know, they could, it could be a lot of things. I don't, it doesn't matter what the cause was, but it's like, no, we need to address this because that's not something... You don't need anxiety when we're all like on vacation and you're wondering what but outfit to wear. But don't you think stupid. like I've done a good job at like starting to manage it yeah and noticing it i mean sunlight's the greatest disinfectant so in jay too you I mean noticing something that's a little off on you is a huge step mm-hmm. there's people that just go home and punch their wife in the nose because you know what i mean they don't there's right. people that, that are or just drinking themselves and they don't know what their issue is and then it takes a little bit of that self-reflecting just like giving it a name which i really think our generation for is the best at of all well, generations, yeah, oh for sure. Because well, now they've figured out because everybody, ever self care is a very hot topic because it it's finally we've reached this time where it's okay for you to not be okay, and it's okay for you to figure out the to how to do the things that you need to do in order to feel okay, and I think there's definitely ways that people go overboard with that, but I think their hearts are in the right place, and generally people who are doing things in order to to better themselves and become a better version of themselves is a great thing because it means that you're going to treat the world better. Mm-hmm. And if you're not doing that, then okay, you probably haven't figured out the formula that's going to make you be the best version of yourself. Yeah, somebody that's burnt out and like up to here with their job or their boss or their home life or whatever, those are the kind of people that go in and shoot up their workplace. Like you need to figure out your way to to be chill right. and everybody is different. So that's a different prescription for every person. But mm-hmm. like, you know, it doesn't mean like you can only live by the beach and be Jake Owen and be so happy. But yeah, like, you have to find it. And that's what they say. Like in New York, you kind of feel everyone else's energy and you ride that wave in LA. You have to create this bubble. It sounds so like new age to say, but it's like, come on guys, go with the fucking program. Like you create this energy or you deal with the other energy. So it's like, if you're going to be in traffic, you better create your positivity or you're going to be dealing with someone else's bullshit. That's now, why like, people say like cut out the toxic people in your life. Now that's a new thing. <sighs> right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, now I'm sorry. Were were, uh, were your parents good at like um or like uh, communicating with you growing up or like letting you share your feelings? Like, what was that all like? Not particularly. I wouldn't say so. I feel like that's something that they're sort of getting a handle on now. My mom, in particular, really really good at that now. But for a long time. None of I don't think any of us knew how to communicate with each other. And my dad Do you have brothers and sisters? I have a younger sister. Okay. She's three years younger than me. Okay. So for the longest time, I the sort of general mode in our house was very achievement driven. So my my dad and my grandma, both valedictorians of their high school and college classes, wow. you know, high paying jobs, very, very, very good achievers. And my mom came from a, a, not a broken home but a turbulent one and so my dad was at work a lot and my mom was the one who was ba- who was basically raising me and my sister because my dad worked crazy hours he's a he's a surgeon so he was working insane hours and my mom was the one who was like well I want to make sure that you guys don't live a childhood the way that mine was where everything was very up in the air and things were and things were kind of chaotic so here's some things you're going to do these things and you're going to be, and you're going to be very good at these things. And so if things were not good and if I was bad at something, then it felt like I was not allowed. After a while I was like not allowed to talk about it. Like I felt very I felt very much like I couldn't address the things that were wrong because if I did I was going to get uh, like I was going to get the riot act read to me. And that's kind of like a shame, right? Like, you know, yeah. there's something's not right, but also addressing it's going to, it's not, it's not bad enough to just address. Right. It's, a, it's enough to sweep under the rug. Exactly. Which still slowly piles up. And that's the secret. That's like the cancer where it's just like slowly. The, yeah. The straw will. that broke the camel's back. You know, it's like one little straw. Yeah. Or. So, so and, and that was probably an unspoken thing where you just knew not to bring things up. Yeah. To some degree. And I think, that well there was some stuff that like obviously came to the surface and tying back to the sort of like achievement thing so i was a good student but i had i was really really bad at math and to the point where i remember math was the only class that i ever failed in school and i remember got an f uh i got uh d's in math yeah and i this is my junior year of high school and i remember my mom was called in to have like a parent teacher conference with my math teacher and she, and my math teacher was like, look, he's like not, cause it was to the point where I was like mouthing off to the math teacher and she was like, hey, look, he's not a bad student, but he just like, there's clearly like a disconnect between what he gets and doesn't get. And so my mom was like, all right, we're going to get you a tutor then. So that way you don't do this. But it's like, I don't care. My mom was, it was like, I felt like I couldn't talk to my mom about it because she, the way I perceived it was my mom wants me to be the smartest kid in school and be in the top 20 in my class and be in the top and le- if not in the top 20, then at least in the top 10%. But I didn't really give a shit about any of that. Like I didn't care about being in the top 10% of my class at school. I just wanted to, in- I wanted to, I wanted to have a good time at school and enjoy myself and do the classes that I liked and do the extracurricular activities that I liked. I wasn't, I didn't really care about achieving. I didn't care about like, you know, the things that I was best at were like writing and history and stuff that I, subjects that I enjoyed. As soon as anything I didn't want to do came up, I was like, all right, well, fuck that thing. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put any effort into doing that thing or learning how to do that thing well. 
and it's hard. It create the creative arts are hard to uh, quantify. Like your grade, your score. It's easy to be like, oh, this is the score in math. But it's like, isn't it insane to think that that's what we're judging, like humans, based on their intellect? And it's like a cultural what? thing too. But I, I feel like my in my family, I the way that I perceived, like the way that I felt, like my parents were proud of me and mm. that they loved me like th- that it was my grades yep it was my Same. grades you guys are very similar with with like, yeah hearing, hearing like this was you this know was they, also ju- a they high just score. weren't very expressive about like other w- ways you know they weren't like very like proud of other accomplishments of mine like i was the captain of like every dance team and mm. like you know i felt like they showed up to those like right. recitals or whatever but like they didn't seem super now, proud Tasha, you hold so, she holds so much resentment because like our, her mom was visiting we were all in like mexico on a beach or whatever and like the topic came up about being supportive and Tasha. <laughs> She was like, you were never there at my dance thing. I was like, whoa. And, and your mom was like, yes, I was. I was like, oh, they, they, her, the mom thinks that she was doing really good. And you, and there, and for you, there was this void of like where you feel like you, you were, they weren't getting you. And here you are and you're later, you know, later in your See, life and you're noticing this. Yeah. But it's just interesting when I look back, it's like, I think that I thought that like, that was the only way they were going to love me was like if I had a 4.0 and it wasn't hard for mm -hmm. me to get a 4.0, but like it was stress inducing because I was also not great at math, but (laughs) I blame the teachers because truthfully, (laughs) no, for real, I was excellent at math. The few years that I had great math teachers, I think they were just fewer and far. This is Thomas had it out for me in Kentucky, you know, Kentucky, like the teachers are horrible, but like I really struggled at calculus and my, my teacher for calculus was sort of like a um there's this one character in Harry Potter it's like a ghost teacher that like just drones on and on and oh, yeah. super the boring teacher. yeah like that was my teacher he had one tone of voice and like was not responsive to questions you know what i mean it was like right. i can't learn like this that's i can barely my, keep my eyes open that's what my precal teacher was mrs not she was not fun but i had when i got to my tutor we had a tutor from the other from a different high school and she was great and we would like crack jokes and chop it up and i would like make fun of my other teachers to her and she would be like this is great and then she would also be like okay here's how you do this is the right way to do this equation do you understand? Okay, cool. Let's go back to making fun of your Spanish teacher. <laughs> and it was, and I was like, cool. I understand this. This this works better for me because you're you seem like you're engaged in what I'm trying to do, and also you care about me as a student. That's the and thing. just making sure that you have the fundamentals right. straight. That's really all it is. It's like building blocks, learning math. Like a good teacher and every subject. A good teacher is all the difference. So to all you good teachers out there, thank you. But the thing is, uh, yeah, thank you, good teachers out there. Uh, but, you know, it's here we are decades later talking about whether or not the math teacher fucked you up. And the real problem is that you the only I way you were trying to, you were getting your love was through this like weird report card and well that's the thing too and i want to clarify is that my i this is stuff you figure out years later is that's not what it actually was and i didn't and that's the thing i need the hindsight and the and to have a better relationship with my family now to understand why that was the way i perceived it like i all my your parents are acting out of love, right? That's the thing. It's everything like everything that they do. Everything is they do led by love. Right. Yeah. And once you're an adult, you can be like, Oh, I get it. They're also just 
they they have no idea trying exactly the best they can the best they've they got can. no clue you're, you're right. the guinea pig you're, you're both, the oldest uh, you're both yep. the oldest yeah, <laughs> yeah. So both were the guinea pigs we, yeah. we have no idea what we're doing we bear all the scars exactly. of being the oldest children shout out to my sister chase <laughs> my older sister for chase being the guinea pig that made this beautiful young boy but yeah but that's the thing it's like now i understand that and now i know why my parents get so concerned about my dealings and doings is because they have no idea, especially given that I have a career in the creative arts, is they have no clue what that means, what it holds, what it could, what what success or failure could look like or could how it could affect me. They have no idea. Because they just never were in that world, and they've, and you know, my parents are supportive of my pursuits, but they have no idea and what it's not it like could they can help be. you either. It's right. like almost like I don't know. You can always go into the family business if your dad like has right. a family business. If you learn that yeah, skill, surgery. but like it's easier. <laughs> but it's yeah, it's easier when it's a hobby. Like when I was doing theater in high school, it's easy for my parents to be like uh, to like go to plays and musicals and to like show up for debate tournaments and that kind of thing and and to be proud of me for that. But when it's my livelihood and they don't know what's going to come out of that and they have no idea that I have if I have like a grounded base to exist on they don't know it's much harder for them to support because they're like well what if we're supporting a thing that winds up fucking him up real bad and also like there's no 401k in comedy nope. like they you know that's, and, and that's a no, whole other issue with how like they, you know, a lot of times parents rather you take a shit job just because it has this sort of protection and you know whatever, and that's that's good that, health insurance. That's a bigger issue with our society, I think. But I mean, have you ever been able to sit down with your parents and tell them like, hey, this is how I need to receive love. This is how I need to receive like guidance and know that or like, support support. Not in those terms. I've definitely had conversations where I've been like, I, I actually remember this very vividly. One of the first conversations where it was dicey with my mom about comedy. Excuse me. She was upset about a. Uh, she was upset about me doing comedy because I was doing a joke about her, and I remember I was like, "Look, I am going to keep doing this. This is something I enjoy doing, and I want to pursue it. So you either get on board, and I'm probably not always going to make that joke, but I might. You might come up, and you either need to get on board, or or else we're never going to talk about it. And that was that." And from there on out, we've had a handful of conversations that have sort of been in that vein. But the thing that I always remind them to keep in mind is I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for me. You are not my target audience. If you can accept that, then we're gravy. Everything's cool. But that's what I need you guys to know about why I'm doing this is it has nothing to do with you. And, and What's the joke? Oh, oh man! Don't ask. You can't ask him it's, to do a joke on the. Air. I, no, I just want to know. Like, is it funny? Does she sort of, in the back of her mind, think that is funny? No, or because it's my. It's talking it's like, about my mom being a racist. Oh, <laughs> geez. Of course, it's not. of course, she doesn't think it's funny, and I don't do that joke anymore. And because it's one of those things that you write when you're first starting out, you have no context of like how to do it right, and. And now I'm like, all right, I look back on that joke and I'm like, all right, that clearly wasn't a very good joke, but there's also the thing that I understand my mom not wanting to be painted in a certain light. So how do I figure out not necessarily how to paint it, how to do it for them, but also how do I write a, how do I write a joke that's like, 
says the thing that I'm trying to say in a joking way that also doesn't necessarily hurt yeah. them. Yeah. And that is the trickiest part. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you try out a couple things that don't work and that's how you figure out the things. And that every do comic's work. got that generational like, oh, my grandmother says this or that, you know, it's like, it's, right. it's fair. It's fair game. I mean, you know, we always talk about. You got to talk about what's what's in front of you. What are you laughing at? What are you smiling for? Every time my mom like goes through a drive through or like orders food from an ethnic person, she like talks back to them in their accent, not on purpose. She's not trying oh, to be God. funny. She just like can't speak normal English when she hears someone with an Indian <laughs> accent. It's like it's so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. That's why people that, I mean, humans do that. Though. You look at Madonna. She's starting to, you know, she's speaking British when she lives in London. Like humans like we we do speak like. Like you when you go yeah, back to Kentucky. Yeah, but she heard it for four seconds at the drive-through window. Like maybe just speak English, mom. <laughs> speak English, mom. Uh, it's yeah. speak English or get out of this country, <laughs> mom. We speak American around here in these drive-throughs. <laughs> you said a keyword. You said acceptance. You want your mom to accept, you know, what you're doing, and I think that's what we all want. It's just acceptance, and mm-hmm. it's like you don't need you don't need to like write a dissertation about why you're proud of us just but we're also smart right so like tasha's parents don't talk about they don't ask me questions about stand-up they don't ask me and, but and it's I, not hold dave on, is hold always on. taking it so personally <laughs> but what you have to remember is like they just don't and ask questions because they don't know what to ask they don't know what it means that you do stand up they right. barely understand what i do and i've like had to really explain it but that's to them. also part of my problem where i go why don't they care why don't they care to ask you more about what you do it's fascinating you well know? mr softy over here you're easily offended you well, fly off the handle every I'm, once yeah, in a while I'm really fly you no do. but so my point is is that my mom my mom's the most accepting, I think she's her, my, my aunt was um, a soap actress. Like my mom for jet for decades has, 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 you know, coached and mentored or, or been supportive to family in the, in, in like the entertainment industry. But, um, but yeah, but I just, I don't know. I'm like, I don't, they haven't asked to ever see a clip of stand up. And for me, it's like my acceptance. It's like, I know I got it from my mom, but I'm like, I'm trying to impress Tasha now. I want her parents Literally every time a Midwestern family at your side job asks you, so like the stand-up thing, blah, 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 you say something nasty and sarcastic back about like, you know, they ask about like a backup Whoa, it must plan be or whatever. Tough. It's just, yeah. a, it's a lot. And, and, and it, it's a lot. It's a lot when you're just like, yeah, just, fuck, life's tough, you know? like. But yeah, is that the you, attitude you guys, that you're going to have back when my parents are small talking about stand-up? No. Because you're just oh, going to discourage them You're talking like I have. I haven't known them for half a decade. Listen, I've heard many conversations of you talking about stand up and stuff with my well, parents. Your parents don't, they don't treat me like, Oh, you should try out for America's got talent. It's like, there's just people that they don't know anything. They just, if it's not food, spood fed down their gullet, like America, like America's got talent. They don't know what you are. Right. And it's like, I don't know. So for like, I, I'm always the one like throwing gears or gear wrenches into the gear of Tasha's family. Cause I'm like, they don't talk about shit. Y'all aren't talking about shit. It's all the the butter's good on the biscuit. Like, they're very much just, like, sitting there. And I'm like, hey, what's got... Like, I'm just like, hello. And you mentioned this, Tasha, but I think your family's opened up a lot since we started dating. I had them watching some crude... uh, I got... Her dad was dying laughing watching Jim Jeffries. And he was like, cunt this and fuck... And, you know, all... And I was just like, what? He also watched um, Jackass. We watched Jackass together. (laughs) With, like, balls hanging around. Yep. They were... Mm. 
that's the hardest I've ever heard them laugh. And so I'm like, I'm using that. I'm like, no, your parents need this. They need to be like open up a little bit. Maybe they need. I mean, I know. What if, what if Tasha's mom's listening to the podcast? We're talking about sex. We're talking about dating. Not this episode. Where I, I much prefer talking about family because I think that's what it all comes down to. It's well, like, that's the thing too. It's like I was just in Arkansas visiting my grandma, and I was doing shows while I was out there, and I remember because my she was talking to me about how my mom had talked to her about not coming to my shows because she was like I don't know if you do I don't know if you're going to like what Jay does on stage cuz I've seen it and I don't, and I don't know if how you're going to like your it. Grandma? My she's, grandma is 83. And she still gets around she and like she around. would she's, come to your she's show. She's popping around. Okay. And she was I was like come if you want. You I mean I was like just so you, I mean you should know it's not she was like I don't care. I I I've I've seen a lot. I'm, Grandmas yeah. do not care anymore. They don't. I <laughs> think my grandma gets my comedy better than my parents do because she Amazing. She's far enough removed, but still loves me. And she's like, this is, I can see what you're doing here. And I think it's funny. And <laughs> I see her laughing at jokes that I'm making that involve like abortion or, or pedophiles and stuff. And I'm like, I see you laughing. And I'm like, cool. This warms my heart to know that you can laugh at this. What a cool grandma. It's a good, she's a good grandma. Oh, give your Shout grandma out. a Shout hug out to from me. That's a thing. Grandmas, uncles, they don't, they, they don't have to deal with like, they're not like parents are the direct, you are their direct lineage. If you like, and my mom would much rather me have a business card that said account executive at so-and-so. The fuck is that? I'm creating art by my, you know what I mean? Jay, you're, you're writing on a show. You're, you're producing and acting and starring in your own theater. I mean, mm-hmm. I know we don't talk ourselves up enough. Come on. That's fucking, you talk about th- you did theater in high school. You're doing it all by yourself. You're running right. up and down the aisle. I remember that bit you had. You're running up and down the aisle at Flappers. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're just fucking doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, and eventually they're going to see that, you know, with the crane, you know, you're on TV. You did uh, what, uh, what's Roast your, Battle. Yeah, you did Roast yeah. Battle. Uh, now, th- that was on Comedy Central. Yep. That was with the Texas round? I did Where the Texas you? round and I did one in Denver and I did an LA round. And my parents came to that Texas taping. Wow. They were there. My parents, my grandma, they were the whole family was there and they liked it, which to me, was, that was so strange because I'm like, you guys aren't going to like this. I'm talking, I'm talking shit about a, a, a girl who. And her dad with Alzheimer's, and you guys are laughing at this. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Well, that's fine. I'm. But they yeah. saw they saw the theatrics of it. Yeah, right. they saw you on stage. They saw you. They kill. get it. They mm-hmm. see me in my element. They see me being good at it now. Yeah. They don't see me when I'm a scrub. I wish that my parents hadn't seen me early on. I feel like they would understand it better if they hadn't seen me early on and hadn't come to open mics. And now I'm just. And now they could just see like the fruits, of the labor, instead of the watering of the tree and the pruning sure. of the branches. And the getting rid of all the rotten shit. I for sure have friends that only saw me first year in. And if anyone asks them, if, is Dave any good at comedy? They're going to be like, fuck no. Oh, I yeah. get it. I get it. Absolutely. I've wasted all my friend credit. All <laughs> of my, I can't get friends to come to my shows anymore because I think they all saw me when I was young and not very good at it. Having yeah. to do the bringer right. show. But and the key is, it's like it's one of the only uh, you know creative art forms where you have to do it in front of everybody. Yep. Your piano recital, your stand-up is in front of a live audience. Don't have a choice. That's how you crash and burn or, or whatever you do. And you just pick it up and you keep learning. But... The problem is, is like wanting, you don't want shame. Like you don't want to not talk about it. You don't want to not be happy about what you're pursuing. It's just a rough road. Right. You don't get those little, those little tears of success that you might get at other jobs. So it's like, we have a lot of people that listen that are in the creative worlds or want to be. And it's like, just do it. Just say you're going to do it. Just like we talk. Or don't say. Sometimes I feel like speaking it is almost like fooling yourself. Right. You know, it's like, don't say, just do it. 
Either well, one, whatever, yeah, whatever, either. I mean, I know people who've got stage names because they don't want people in their regular job to know that they do stand-up, which I totally get. But the other downside is I got in so young and was so public about doing it young that I didn't really have a choice. I kind of baked into the fact that it's like, well, I have, I have to, I have to keep working at it, or else people are going to be like, uh, you know what? And that's probably giving them too much credit. It's going to then be like, oh, remember that guy? He did stand up. He was a guy. Oh, what's he doing now? Eh, who gives a shit? They probably wouldn't ask or or reminisce. Yeah. But now I get to have that experience of whenever people see like I have a commercial that's airing right now, and people hit me up. They're like, I saw you in this commercial. That's crazy. I, is this still your phone number, by the way? I hope this is still your phone <laughs> number that I'm texting you at. You're like, yeah, bitch, yeah. that's right. What commercial are you in? Uh, a commercial for The General. Oh, The General. Yep, terrible car insurance. Great commercial. Oh, really? That's yeah. a, I, thought so, it, I thought it was a cartoon guy. Yeah, it's the little animated he's guy. Still so, he still shows up, he but shows I'm, up. <laughs> I'm riding a pig in this commercial. Dude, I got, great. I, got wow. your, I, got, I got Jay Light's phone number. I'm going to text him next time I see that commercial. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I had a couple more questions. Are you, do you have a, anywhere you need to be? Or are you, uh, I got, I'm supposed to do, a, I signed up to do fourth wall at eight, so I've got eight? a little bit of time. So Okay, so what time is it now? What time is it? 7 7 Can we go another 20 minutes or so? Or do you need fourth wall Holly? Hollywood. Fourth Wall Hollywood. Hollywood. Okay. Fourth Wall is a five minute ride. Perfect. That's where the Mimosa show is. Oh yeah. Bro, 20, oh, 20, 27 people in that room today. Wow. Imagine I've that. never been there before. I actually, actually. This oh, you be haven't? my first time going Dude, there this have, afternoon. We, we're going there after this because we broke it. Someone sat on a table and broke it. So I brought it home and wood glued it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to drop that. Are you going to Sammy's? After I don't know, I'll text we, we her. Got shit to drop She's anyway. at a birthday party. All right, so we so we'll do twenty more minutes. Okay, um, and okay, because I wanted to talk about your your dating world, right? So like okay. you've got a you've got a girlfriend. I do. Is how long has that been? What's the status on that? Uh, we're just about at two years. It'll be two years in a couple weeks. And is she uh, part of these New York plans? Have you thought about if you're tr- thinking yeah. about moving to New York? Would she she's actually from New York. Oh, so wow. oh, when we started, nice. we, yeah, when we started dating, we were talking about like. I want to go to New York eventually. And she was like, that's perfect because I want to be back in New York. She grew up there. She grew up in Greenwich Village. Wow. And so she, you know, she, her whole life she spent in New York City. And she wants to go back there and I want to go there. So assuming we go that far and keep going, perfect, perfect, perfect opportunity. Hey, good, like, good go to shoot for that. You yeah. know what I mean? Good for that. I mean, like, is she we, a creative too? She is. She's a writer, a screenwriter. Okay, cool. So she is not. It's nice because I I dated a handful of comics, and it's not something that I can I people who are comics who make their relationships work out with other comedians. Good for you guys. I've tried it. I can't do it. It's a specific collision that has to happen. Right. A very specific collision. The right kinds of personalities have to meet because it's comics just like anybody else have very different personalities. And sometimes you can find people who are compatible. I have found myself either with with incompatible people who are comics for different reasons that were incompatible. Yeah, just because you have the same job doesn't mean the, you're gonna get along. Right. Like, but it's kind of like having a. It's like having an office romance. Like you're fucking somebody who you work with. It's just it's you're also doing that around people who are at bars and at night and you're not in an office. <laughs> you're still just fucking the person who you get coffee with, you know, <laughs> and it's you're, the person and you fuck around at the at the at the water cooler with. Except that water cooler has tequila. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you how do you juggle uh time with your girlfriend versus time with your career? Because there's no set schedule where it's like I'm done at 5 p.m. How do you how well, do you do that? 
we are sort of in the process of reconfiguring how that works because yeah, we just because moved you're in making together. the transition too of like trying to do more time at night. Right. So we were living together. We've been living together for a couple months now, but we weren't together as under the same roof for the rest of the time we'd been dating. So about a year and a half. Now, when we were doing that, it was very clear. Hey, we're going to be spending time with each other at these moments. You know, this weekend we have plans. Right. Thursday night we have plans. Right. Like you set the exactly. you set the date. It's it's scheduled in your notebook. And now we're not setting the dates and not actually setting aside time. And that's sort of a product of laziness, but also a product of a, we're both very busy. So we're both just like, well, let's just assume that we'll hang out when we see each other. And you get comfortable, too. Yep. Like exactly. we have tried to make a point to um, like up the quality of our time because we talk about like love language, quality time. Oh, well, yeah. like you coming home at 10 p.m. and me like being half asleep on the couch and we decide to watch something on Netflix doesn't count as quality. Yeah, this time. week, I didn't make it right. home before 10 p.m. once. And, and I and, had to leave every morning at 8. <laughs> I was getting up with her at 6.30. And I was waiting Ooh. up for you at night. Jay, help me out. I mean, I work a job where I have to get up at like 5 in the morning. So I understand that it's a struggle to get up and stay up and be doing stuff all day and all night also. But that's the thing. It's now we had, we literally, oh, it's so good. You guys picked the perfect time to podcast with me about all Absolutely. this Absolutely. <laughs> Everything works perfectly, doesn't we it? We had this talk last night where I was like, hey, I don't feel good about where I'm at. And I think I also need to separate myself from you a little bit in terms of we should be planning time to hang out with each other. And I need to be out at night more doing comedy. And she's like, that's great. You should totally do that. And let's make plans to hang out with each other. Because that worked when we were not living together. Jay, yeah. she would have packed my fucking bags if I said that. No, that's not true. You would have packed my fucking bags. So Get the <laughs> fuck out. I'll find a guy who wants me. No, but it's important for for to establish that. that, like, it's almost like how um, some people, couples who have been married a long time, the fire sort of fizzles out because you, it becomes so second nature. This is your person. You mm -hmm. live together. You come home to them and you fall into your routine right. and you forget that you need to, like, keep things spicy and set dates and like make it special mm -hmm. and not just for like the romance although it's very important for the romance but for yourself too yeah That's i think we both are able to thrive better as creatives if we have our time to be apart and then set aside the time to be together how do you prevent uh hardening the bitterness of like like you you said you talked to her were you bitter at all that she might be taking up your time. You know what I mean? Like, it, not to say that she actually was, but were you channeling that? Like, geez, if it wasn't, because I'll tell you, if Dave I, looks for somebody to blame and it's me. Oh, come on. No, I'm like, I got to see my single friends out there slinging dick, taking names, and like, I, I don't care about anything other than the fact that I feel like they're out hustling me. My buddy Johnny Mitchell, I'm like, this dude's fucking getting sharp and he's out there doing a lot more stand-up than I am. Right. And I'm like, I need to be out there. So I get this like, not resentment towards Tasha, just this this anxiety. That's my anxiety, being like, I'm not working hard so enough. So here's, here's how I know that, here, for me, and I learned this through trial and error, being in a relationship works better for me because as a, as a, as a creative, having something that I can anchor myself to that's just like a constant part of my life means I have more creative freedom. And that means I can go out and do more stand-up and go out and hang out more and do more and, and be more creative as a person and an artist than if I was out single. Because if I'm single, 
my You're vice. also looking for pussy. In my vice is pussy. <laughs> Tasha. I know, but it is. No, it's true. You're focused on your craft and what you're doing because you know that you have your solid at home. Right. Like, I've got my person that I can close the box on yeah. this. And <laughs> now I only have to focus on these other things. I probably spent more time when I was single swiping and trying to set up dates than I could have actually been working at my craft. I totally I probably could have been better if I wasn't trying to fuck all the time. I totally hear all that. I've spent plenty of time being single in my life, especially in my couple first years in stand-up. I totally, I, I, I'm with you on all that. My thing is, like, if Tasha's out of town, I know I can go hang out at a, at a club, you know, stand-up club, whatever, or a show. I know I can go hang out and be supportive and network and socialize and all that as long as I want. But if Tasha's in town, I got a ticking time to be home. I'm not saying you put that on me so much, Tasha, but like the other night, you know, you were out and, and you got home before I was and you're like, where the fuck are you? Well, because you had told me that you were going to be home at 10 and I got home at 10 and I was like looking for a parking spot and there were none. I had to park in sketch town over there by some guy like waving around a stuffed animal and a big ass tree limb. I was Very like, descriptive you know, of that. Yeah, but you, but you understand <laughs> but like, like I'm you not said, you said there. you were going to be home at this time and I saw that you weren't home and I texted you to see when you were going to be home and you didn't answer me and so I just came inside and I dodged the sketchy guy and I'm like hey he was supposed to be home 30 minutes ago what's I know but on? the thing is is because I know you don't really care we've been dating for so long I know you don't care to see me it's not like oh come home I need you it's more like what the fuck you and, and, and I just I just did a show I, I got a few bucks and then I, one of the audience members was buying all the comics a beer so I'm like I'm, I'm gonna hang out I mean, there's a comic from Austin alright get to know him you know all that stupid shit you do it's it is a little pre-calculated yeah exactly now it's but, just keeping each other in out, the loop that one yeah. night where i was like tasha i need to go Thank out you. i need to go out and fucking just grind it whatever i went out to like one place and booked three shows then i'm like i need to be fucking out more right because it comes down to like in fourth walls i love it but they make it very uh, surgical to be like i'm going in at this time and i'm out at that time and i've made that uh, uh way too uh, much of my life and i'm like i need to be out there I, i'm better off going to comedy stores as I don't long go as to you scheduled date night you can schedule comedy night What's a right. healthy, and then well, my expectations what, are set that's what she and i just talked about last night was like hey as long as you are saying we're gonna set aside time for us to hang out and do stuff together that's not just us maintaining our home which is a whole other conversation that you have to have when you live with somebody who you're who you're dating that's a whole separate thing Hey, let's set aside time to work on our home. Let's set aside time to work on our relationship and be together. And that way we have the freedom to be creative and live those parts of our lives and not feel like any of it is intersecting in a way that is not pushing us to, to new heights. How much yeah. date time do you aim for a week? I know some weeks are better than less, but like, what's a good? I mean, like, do you take one night off of stand up? Like, or do you do you like try to dedicate one night to date night, or not just date night, but like quality time together? Or I like, probably should one night a week is probably better for me because I also do, tend to do better if I'm not doing stand up every night. I I like getting up every day. It's fun. It's cool. But also, I definitely start to feel the sense of burnout if I'm doing the same sort of stuff over and over again and not really feeling like I'm pushing myself creatively. Yeah. But I mean you caught me at a new paradigm, so I don't know. <laughs> all out. New guy. We gotta get out of here. I know um I know you gotta go um continue on with your day. Uh but uh good luck with the relationship. Thank you. And um I feel like we're at a good place. I feel yeah, like this, it, we'll we'll see where this goes. I'm happy for you. It sounds I mean I really believe that it's more about talking it out than anything. Yeah. You realize that like something's not working for me. Let's have a discussion about it and let's figure out how we can each be the best version of ourselves so that we can bring the best version of ourselves to each other yeah 
You know, I think I don't know if you're a number. Three forty two or three forty three episode number. Three forty three. But Jay, I've kind of know a lot of comics by wow. podcast. We've done this for five years now, right? And um, I'm, I was really excited because I was like, oh, "You're such a friendly face," and I'm like, "I need. I don't know you at all." But I was like, "I need to get this guy into the the Rolodex." I mean, because we have a lot of dirt on comics, and we didn't scratch the surface <laughs> with you. But I know more. I know more shit about. It. I didn't realize how similar you two would be. You know, you overachievers. Yeah. You, you, you oldest sibling, overachievers. Overachievers, oldest sibling. That Midwest re- Southern. Yeah. Hey, look, we're, we're, we're more than just pretty faces, okay, dude? We have a <laughs> well, lot you, to offer. Will you do our next Mimosa show? I'll, I'll, I don't yeah, have the, totally. the date. It'll be one Sunday in July, but I'll let you know the let date. Let me know. I'll be around town in July, and then I go to August. I'm going to be in Scotland for the whole month. For oh, the you're doing Edinburgh? That's yeah. so cool. So, and then, so you're going to be doing a one-man show. Yep. Uh, well, it's an hour of stand-up, but yeah, it's uh, it's got it's, an arc. It's, it's so what's the what's the overall? I, don't, I know we're getting out of here, but what's the overall arc of the show? The arc your is life? yeah. I mean, it's me. The show's called Fake It Till You Make It, and the whole premise is: Hey, these are all the things that I used to to think I was. This is who I am now. Here's how I got rid of all that other stuff to figure out where I'm at now. And you know, oh, I want to come see it. I'm doing well. I'm going to be doing a, a live version of it in LA after I come back. Okay, uh, oh, sweet. recording it. We'll, Let we'll, us know. We'll, we'll blast be there. it on our Instagram where everyone, all of our podcast listeners are. So people like, can check I it out. I need to figure out who I am, and I need maybe some help. But <laughs> isn't that for it. Tasha's big time three eighths life crisis? Sorry, Tasha ain't quarter life crisis anymore. She's three eighths life. But it's like that's all we're trying to do is strip away like this identity that was given to us and figure out who we are and who doesn't want to just dance in the rain like we all want that but it's like it's easier said than done and that's kind of what the that this whole process is is just like self exp I mean it's like we're getting old guys. Mm-hmm. We we need to figure out who we are. <laughs> we don't have a lot of time. <laughs> I wanna be the fucking weird. I wanna be like your grandma. I was like, I ain't do those jokes. The grandma in front of me. hey, one day you can do it. I believe in you do. Yeah. Well thank you so much for being on the podcast and um Where can people find you? What's your Instagram? It's at Diet J on Twitter and Instagram and then show dates are all at jlightcomedy.com and also check out my podcast Blockbusting. Blockbusting, so wherever you get podcasts, amazing. Everyone, go support Jay and uh, and leave him a comment on his Instagram. We'll, we'll take a quick photo before we get out of here, so people can see Sounds it that great. way. So anyway, thank you guys. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the pod. Really Happy to do it. it, guys. Thanks so much yeah. for having me. This was a great time. The sap, everyone. Bye. 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 There it is. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation with Jay Light, Tasha Courtney, myself, Dave Neal. And again, if you want to support the podcast, there is uh, so many ways you can do that. Um, Most importantly, if you have the funds, share us. Share us with your friends and sign up for the Patreon. Patreon.com slash the sap. It'll be in the description of this um, podcast. at this Patreon at Patreon if you don't know if you're new to this planet and uh, first episode listening uh, if it's your first episode listening to the podcast listen to five more episodes before you try to donate okay I want to really sell you on why you want to be a part of what we have going on but you're going to like it you're going to like what we're doing all right we're an independent podcast we're not sponsored by any crazy things or have any corporate money it was just us in our kitchen hanging out with our friends our funny friends and trying to learn a little bit about life so uh, we really appreciate those that have donated and that have subscribed to the Patreon. Basically, if you join the Patreon at our $8 a month level, what you're doing is you're signing up for 
all the fucking past episodes we've released um, for bonus content. That solo episodes uh, that I've, you know, just, you know, opened my irreverent heart up to you for. And then there's also episodes where we have other guests over that, you know, just shit we haven't aired in the public. So that's just for you guys. We have the Mimosa stand-up show, four months of that. You can catch up on all of the um, extra bonus content. And we appreciate you. We appreciate you so much. If that's not in the funds, if you can't do the Patreon, we understand. Share it with your friends tag a few friends on instagram your social media following if you enjoy us you want to fuck with us we want to fuck with you so just get the word out every extra subscription counts as we rise the ranks on this algorithm i know that i sound like i'm beating a dead horse here and if that horse could subscribe to the podcast i'd say join the patreon too there stanley but he can't so i need your help anyway Thank you guys so much for just being there with us, for coming to the live shows, uh, for all of your support, for the nice emails, sexactuallypodcast at gmail.com. They don't go unread. There is so much gratitude and support. We love you guys so much. Thank you for being a part of our team. We'll see you next week on The Savage.